Coaches, are you looking for a meaningful way to bring your players closer together on and off the field? Do you want a surefire way to give back to the game and serve your community? My name is Sean Danhauser, and I'm a top soccer coach. The Outreach Program for Soccer, or Top Soccer, is a wonderful program that brings student volunteers and coaches together with children with special needs to learn new skills, build valuable socialization skills, enhance physical fitness, and have fun together through the beautiful game of soccer. It's inclusion on an athletic field, and this is where we need help from coaches like you. There is likely a program near you that is in need of coaches and volunteers that are willing to donate some of their time to share their love of the game with others in need. The time commitment is minimal, usually only one hour a week, but the rewards last a lifetime. Please consider getting your team involved in a top soccer program today. To learn more and to find a local program, visit the top soccer pages of either the U.S. Youth Soccer or your local state association's website. Coaches, by coaches, this is Soccer Chat with Nick Rizzo and Sean Sauterling. Brought to you by Social Media for High School Athletes. What's up, everybody? This is Soccer Chat, brought to you every single week by the good folks at Social Media for the High School Athletes. You can check them out online at socialstudentathletes.com and all over social media platforms at HS Social Media. We also got to give a big shout out to the folks at Dutig Brand. Check them out, dutigbrand.com. Make sure to use the promo code Soccer Chat to get yourself a nice little discount and let them know that you're listening to our show. So when you go to dutigbrand.com, find the trainer, find the coaches pack. A great, great beanie, might I add, that you want to add to your collection and use the promo code Soccer Chat to get yourself a nice discount there. We also give a big shout out to our folks at Torex. We are Team Torex here at Soccer Chat. It's the best ball pump you'll ever see in your life. Make sure to go check it out from Torex. That's T-O-R-R-X. Find them on Twitter. Find them online. Make sure if you've purchased one, help them out. They want everybody to go on to Amazon if you've purchased one and leave them a rating and review on Amazon. That's going to help them out, which in turn helps everyone out when it comes to more Torex ball pumps for all. Man, what a week we've got. As you heard uh, last week, Nick has flown. Uh, He was able to get his passport done in time. Uh, He text messaged our big group text to say that he had officially gotten on the plane and that he was going to be gone for a while. If you've been following his Instagram, which he just learned how to use, he has been uh, sharing us videos of him literally just laying on a couch in the mountains watching soccer with a uh, with a dog and a cat uh, but he's there visiting some of his buddies that he's talked about that he played with in college so therefore we had to go out this week and get ourselves an amazing fill-in an amazing special guest host for this week and i think that we have done so we have with us soccer chat alum mr joe sager the head coach at lawrence how joe how are you doing good evening i'm excited to be here thanks for having me i'm well how are you I am fantastic, and you've already uh, lost points in the podcast world because you said good evening, even though we're recording this at night time. What if somebody's oh. listening to this during the day right now? Well, in the UK, it is the evening right now. So, there you go. You know, there I'm, you go. I'm you still did, adopting. You've got a way around adopting. it. <laughs> well, you know, Joe, since the last time we had you on, you know, you had uh, you were entering your preseason uh, with with Lawrence. And, uh, you know, since then has had had your first fall as a head coach and and uh, really get into your your winter uh, recruiting cycle as we start heading into the spring. So kind of uh, g- get us up up to date. You know, what happened in the fall? How was it? Uh, things uh, the, the pros, the negatives, uh, things you're looking to build upon and, and how things are going to be looking in the spring. Oh my goodness! Uh, what a learning experience. You know, um, going in as a as an assistant, and when you first take your first head coach job, you think you've got it all 
sort it out and you're going to know exactly what to do. And I was like, wow, um, it, it's been a fantastic experience. You know, the fall was tough. We, we knew we were going to struggle a little bit. We had low numbers and we had a very, very tough schedule. Um, but ultimately, like getting into the, the off season, uh, recruiting's gone great. Um, we've, we're probably in the, the, the key moments right now where I think a lot of Division Three coaches will tell you that they're, they're waiting on people to say yes and uh, they're going to lose some people to other places. But right now, I would say I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm always a little bit of a pessimist, but you want to keep a little bit of a splash of optimism around that you're going to get your uh, dream recruiting class. Um, but I think within the next six, seven weeks, we'll know exactly where we're going to be. But um, I'm excited. It's been good. Um, and I'm really excited to get my first ever recruiting class in 2019, which will be my, the first one that I've recruited on my own, which is going to be a, a, a nice moment for me as a coach. What uh, what were some of the learning moments? You know, you mentioned that was uh, quite the, the interesting ride. What was uh, kind of the something that maybe caught you off guard that you're like, oh, I got to remember this for, for next season? I would say as an assistant, you don't realize the amount of uh, administrative stuff a head coach has to do. Uh, there's so much paperwork that you know people need from you. And uh, the, uh, the people in the P-Card office, which is our purchasing office, they, they've been uh, real good at keeping me on my toes. Um, <laughs> but I, I would say just there's things that you... You, you just learn that you're like, I'm going to handle that a little bit different next time. You know, maybe how you, you speak to officials or how, uh, what time you're going to arrive at an away game or what you're going to have your players eat, which maybe you thought was the right thing at the time. But then in hindsight, which is a wonderful thing, which we all wish we had more of, you, you'd be able to do differently. And, and, and that's something which I definitely learned with being in a new conference, maybe not understanding that, you know, one of the things was like travel to away games. Uh, I don't think I gave my my team as much time to to, to arrive at away games as, as much as I'd like in the, for for the following year, which is something which we're definitely going to rectify as a coach and staff next fall. With the uh, with what you got coming in um, next year, you know what are some things that you guys are looking to do as a team this spring to uh, to improve upon going into next fall. So. I got hired pretty late last year and I didn't really have the opportunity to establish how I really wanted to play uh, in terms of my brand of, uh, of soccer. So this spring, um, I really want to establish with the returning players how we're going to play uh, and establish you know, some situations that they can be successful in and know how we want to get things done come August when they arrive back on campus next fall. With, uh, you know, what was it like uh, coaching against some of your friends as, as oh, they had to coach and not just in a camp setting? It was it, it was great, you know. And, and one of the things which um, I know you've had, you know, Chris from uh, Knox, who's just left and moved on, which is a fantastic move for him and, uh, and Rizzo. Um, you know, one of the things which makes coaching so good is for the, the 90 minutes once the game has started, you, you're at war with one another. And uh, I, I know... We had a couple of squabbles on the sideline and that just makes it so much fun at the end when you just burst out laughing and give each other a hug and say, I love you and good luck and your team, I wish you all the best. And that's one of the things that I, I ultimately really love about the game is that for 90 minutes, you can compete, compete, compete. And at the end, you shake hands and give each other a hug and ask how you know significant others are and how things are going in their personal lives. And that's something which was a real blessing this year, which... For me, was was just fantastic. 
um, which is, you know, I, I love the competition, but the, the best thing about the game of soccer is that it brings so many people together that you can mostly spend most of the time laughing with each other, which is important. And what was, uh, did you have any uh, classic moments uh, with the officials? As, as we have noted, you have uh, from time to time, there's got to be something that uh, you said that uh, you kind of thought back to yourself was like, that was a good one. You know, um, it's funny. The officials in camps are much more uh, tolerable for my, uh, <laughs> my humor than, than actual real officials. So maybe I need to get some more camp officials out to some of my games because uh, <laughs> I, I think I got myself in a little bit too much trouble this year, which uh, they just didn't think I was as funny as I thought I was, Sean. So that's a problem right there. <laughs> Man, I, I need to come up there and back you up and, and then yeah. let these officials know like, hey, like you if, if you're if you're getting it from him, like don't worry, you're gonna get it from everybody. That's it. That was it. I, I thought I was funny, but you know, as my wife says sometimes, I'm often not as funny as I think I am. Nah, that's a lie. She doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> uh so you know what's been uh what's been going on with you non-soccer wise? Everything going all right and uh you know, adjusting to the new city, new area? So yeah, you know it's been great. My uh, my wife decided to uh, adopt a second dog, which was uh, a wow for us both. You know, wow, so we've, now got, we've now got two dogs. Um, you know, how do you do it? We've we've survived the uh, the polar vortex in Wisconsin, which I, I'd never experienced snow and cold like this before from the UK. Yeah, that's different. Yeah, my uh, all my friends from the UK have been calling me saying, "Are you doing okay?" We've seen that it's minus <laughs> thirty-eight, and I'm like, "Yes, I'm okay." But no, things have been fantastic. Um, that Appleton and the Fox Valleys is a fantastic place, and it, I, I'm just so blessed to be here, and I'm I'm really really enjoying my time up here. So I have to, uh, we, we do have to talk about this before we get into our interview this week. Was I enjoyed that um, one of my favorite moments with you. Uh, just happened recently where uh, we were discussing uh, soccer chat and, and your appearance. And you said how much it helped you uh, with your popularity that you were in the gym working out, listening to an episode. And Nick and I just so happened to bring up your name and was talking about you. And everyone in the gym turned around and looked at you like they just said your name. And you were able to kind of puff that chest out a little bit and be like, yeah, that's me they're talking about. Yeah. It was, uh, I mean, I, I started signing some autographs after my workout. That was kind of a huge deal. And, but no, we, I had it on the, uh, the loudspeaker and there was, you know, some of the, the, the men's soccer players from our program and some hockey guys in there. And uh, I think Rizzo was, was making fun about how I was uh, harassing him about one of his center midfield players being totally dominant in one of our games. She's a very strong player and um, he was laughing about it. And uh, you guys brought my name up and they were like, wait, Hey, coach, was that you? I was like, yeah, I'm a big deal. <laughs> of course you're a big deal. Everybody's going to know your name way before we can we can even imagine. There's there's going to be Joe Sager fan clubs going up everywhere. You be- and I, and I, I, too, I still believe that if they would mic you up for games, your team would go viral and become a national sensation. <laughs> Maybe we'll get that done for uh, we we play Monmouth away from home next year. Maybe you should come down and do a live podcast there. Oh, me doing the play by play. I wouldn't even be talking about the game. Nobody would know what's going on because I would just be uh, I would be going on uh, bantering between you and Nick. But uh, you know, it's awesome job. having. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure we could we could come up with something. 
Uh, but you know, we we definitely want to thank you for for joining us uh, with, with Nick being away on vacation and 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 doing his thing with the teammates down in Columbia. Uh, but uh, you know, one of the cool reasons why we we had Joe come on is because Joe's really good about asking questions, and he's a lot better than I am at asking questions. Uh, and you're going to hear about that with our interview, and you are going to like it. different interviews different people people you know people you don't know and and for me this is a a a i guess selfishly an awesome interview because i i haven't spoken to this guy in a long time other than through instagram dms or, or twitter dms uh but i i met our our guests this uh today tonight whenever you may be listening to this uh i want to say maybe 10 years ago i'm trying to think of when indianapolis held the convention i want to say it was 2008 maybe uh yeah. somewhere around that time and uh, this this guy and, and have followed him ever since. And just the the things that he's doing uh, is, is absolutely incredible on social media. And, and we'll get more into that. But we have with us today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this, we have Ricky Clark with us, the master coach. Ricky, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. That's some introduction. I appreciate it. Well, you know, I'm building you up so that way, you know, you just fly <laughs> through the interview and, and, and people are like, man, I really got to know more about this guy. Uh, the thing with soccer chat is to know who you are, the coach. Now we've got to kind of know where you've been. And and the big joke is that sometimes people have to break out their U8 playing days and how they were the leading goal scorer uh, in, the, in the U15s and things along those lines. But, uh, you know, just you have such an amazing story uh, of how you got to where you're at now. So if you would kind of uh, enlighten everybody with that. Yeah, to be honest with you, I'm the, I'm the youngest. I'm obviously from uh, London, England. I'm the youngest of three boys. And um, never, ever thought that I had big dreams to move to America. So uh, going through my school, I wasn't really the most studious child, if I'm being totally honest with you. Um, ended, <laughs> Nobody has to know that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I, you could tell us you were a 4.0, we'd be okay. And no, no, I definitely wasn't a 4.0. But I ended up going, I ended up leaving high school and my physical education teacher, the best thing somebody ever did for me, she made me go to college. And through through college, um, it gave me the opportunity to come to America and start working on summer camps. And I worked for a company based in New York. And um, that was really, if I'm being totally honest, that was really where I got my education as a coach. I'd done a lot of things where I was an assistant coach in England growing up, trying to gain experience. But I went to work for a company in New York, working with um, three guys, Gary Book, Tim Bradbury, and Neil Graham. And Tim and Gary were really the ones that gave me my education as a young coach. Um, 
And I also started on the pathway to gaining coaching qualifications here in the States when I was with that coaching company. Um, managed to meet um, some unbelievable uh, educators while working for Naga Soccer. That was the coaching company. And from that, I ended up moving to California, running, ended up running a club in California for six years, then moved to an ECNL program where I worked with uh, female players. And then from there, I've, I've moved to Georgia where I moved into the men's pro game. I worked there for a year and, and now I've dropped back into development academy and along the way I've I've managed to pick up all my coaching qualifications. So um, in a short little paragraph, that's that's pretty much me in a nutshell. What, uh, you know, for and also going to, you know, your your website as well and the program that you have. Uh, I know for me, you know, getting to, to meet you, uh, whatever it was, 10 years ago, where it may be uh, at, the, at the convention, uh, you know, just getting to talk to you and, and get to know you. And at the time, you know, the, it was, we were with Mike Jacobs and, and, and some yeah. other, other guys from Academy Soccer Coach and just kind of getting to talk. And all of a sudden I, I saw somebody had posted something from you and I, I clicked on it and I was like, oh, my God, he's got his own website. Look mm-hmm. at all and look at all this information. And I was astounded. And I, I mean, I, to me, I mean, like you were so humble. You never like bragged about anything. And for me to see like all this information that you were putting out there for coaches, it was like, whoa, like if I'd have known this about the guy ahead of time, like who knows? I well, probably wouldn't have liked me because I would have asked a lot of questions. <laughs> but, um, you know, kind of how did that get started to, to want to make your own website and make your own program to, to try to help other coaches? To be honest with you, it all came about through a mistake, really. Um, I was I was doing my master coach diploma with the NSCAA, and um, it was a 20-project course. And one of the projects was how can you um, relay all the coursework you're doing to your local community? How can you get all the information out? And I was living in Silicon Valley at the time, so everything – blogging was huge and um so I started speaking with some of the people that I worked with and some of the parents that I was working with and they're like why don't you just start your own website and at the time to be honest with you I never really had a great creative bone in my body so (laughs) I just named it rickymastercoach.com and um a lot of people think I'm arrogant and I think I'm a master coach and it really just came about through a mistake really of not really knowing what to do and what to call it but from that what I decided was when I was a young coach I never really had resources for free where I could go and listen to coaches or I could go and listen to professional players and so what I started doing with rickymastercoach.com was um, interviewing professional coaches Um, interviewing professional players and then just trying to create as much content as I could for free to give it back to players that I was working with, coaches that I was working with at the time. And then from there, it just really, it just tumbleweeded. It it picked up a lot of momentum and, and it's just opened up a lot of doors for me, to be honest, just for the fact that I'm just trying to give back. I try and create free content. I try and educate and, I don't I don't think I'm perfect. I don't think I know everything, but I definitely like to share the work 
that I like to do with my club and with some of the players and the, and the coaches that I work with. So I can say, I, I, for me, myself, I have benefited from following your stuff. I, I know um, one of the, Gosh, I can't remember how long ago it was either, but you had put out the um, the details of, of the roles. And I think the first one I remember was the center midfield. I think it was about Frank Lampard because uh, mm-hmm. you were working close closely with Chelsea at the time. Uh, and I remember being like, I love Chelsea. I love Frank Lampard. I want my midfielder to be like Frank Lampard. Hey, how can I get a hold of this? Yeah. Uh, and you were super kind to, uh, to, you know, to send me the full size image of that from your Instagram. Um, you know, was there a demand for it at the beginning? Like you said, you know, you were trying to reach out, give something to your local community. Uh, when you started the website, was there a lot of people pouring into it or, or asking you for the content that you were putting up there? Yeah. Yeah. I think as I think there was a massive demand for it, to be honest, it almost got to a point where I was doing so much. I had to slow it down a little bit and try and think about what was the best way of um, sharing the content. I think, the internet's changed the way we learn as as coaches. It's changed the way we um, communicate to our players and how we get our message across to parents in a way. Um, and I think it can be a really powerful tool if it's used in the right way. I mean, children live on their phones these days. So if you're not working with them on the field, there must be a way that you, you're able to communicate with them off the field where it's instantly in the palm of their hand. And, you know, we all live in an instant gratification world as well. So some of the content I'm producing, I'm just trying to make it specific to um, the players and that I, I really want to just create content where they can take it and use it in any way that they want to use it. You know, and the the presentations and the 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 mini videos, they're all just a part of a working journal for me, really. You know, I, I've built it over a long period of time and it's just ideas that are put together. And there's always ongoing uh, need for coaches to develop and evolve. And I, I just try and be self-aware and try and produce the best content I can. And most of the time it's free and people seem to enjoy it. Sean, can I jump in here? Of course, Joe, by all means. Ricky, could I, um, a lot of your stuff, you talk about the importance of uh, constant feedback with players and parents and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about how you've seen that change over your career and for coaches now, what you think they should focus on with regards to the feedback with their players to help them develop? Well, there's two there's two questions there. I'll start with how it's changed over the years. I, I I I really think technology has changed the way that we communicate with um players and parents. Um in the past it would have been you turn up, you have a you know, a, a written evaluation that you hand to the parents. Whereas now um, I load stuff onto my website. I've created courses that people can go online and they can use 24-7. And you you really get the opportunity if you're a coach to create this no excuses environment. Children have access to the information twen- 24-7. So if you're organized and you can provide the right content, it's, in my opinion, the use of technology is helping speed up the development for the children. Um, 
Sorry, what was the second part to the question? There was a. How, well, I would just say, how, has, is it, obviously you've touched on a little bit about it being better. Um, yeah. do, you, do you share that both with the parents and the players simultaneously, or are there times where you uh, break that up a little bit? Yeah, I, I, to me, to be honest with you, having worked with youth soccer players now for nearly 20, 20 plus years, I believe it's um, it's a three-way process. I, I, I don't feel like you can communicate with a player and single out just communicating with them and not talk to the parent about what you're trying to achieve. Because um, if the player... Uh, if the parent believes in you, they communicate that to the player. And if the player thinks that their mum and dad 100% trust the coach and you have a relationship with a player, I think it, you're going to be successful moving forward. And when, you know, what the what technology does and what the internet does in that process is it allows you to be really specific when you're working with kids. It allows you, for, for example, I use Huddle. And we clip the games and it allows me to be very specific. As a team, I can say, hey, look, in the next game, these, please watch these five clips. These are the areas that I really want us to focus on. Whereas in the past, it may have been, hey, you know, in the last game we did A, B and C. Today I, I want to see us do this. What the technology does and the internet does is it allows me to be really super focused with specific parts of the game, whether they're individual or whether they're a team um, objective. And it allows you to be just straight to the point. And that's something that I love, if if I'm being totally honest with you. Brilliant. Well, I think I, you also, anybody else who, who remembers you from, from the older days, uh, we have the neon green talent is not enough shit. So I, how did uh, you know? That's kind of the the model that goes along with a lot of your um, your content that you're putting out there. How was that? Uh, how how did you cr- come up with that? Or, or how was that the uh, the vision behind what you're doing? It, it came about. It came about through one of my interviews. Um, I I interviewed Tony Juchico, You know, I mean, and Tony said one of the questions I asked him. I was fascinated about Mia Ham, and I've done a lot of research about the the um, World Cup winning team that he was a part of. And I said to him, what, what was the difference between, um, what's the difference between world-class players and, and good players? And, and one of the things he said to me was, the world-class players realise that talent is not enough. And yeah. at, that, at that point in the interview, I was like, oh, like talent is not enough. That sounds great, and and it's also been something I guess throughout my life that I've always really been the guy that's just worked really hard. Never been talented in a way. Mm-hmm. My, my brothers were way better than me on the field, and um, I was the one that just worked really hard. So I kind of took that slogan and, and and implemented that into when I work with players, how I want to do how I want to improve as a coach, just just realise talent is not enough. So then the shirt kind of became a training shirt. And from there, it just kind of took its own way. You know, people ended up, I ended up realising there was a little bit of market for it. People wanted to buy it. And then some really cool people 
ended up wearing it, you know, before Carly Lloyd exploded and become Carly Lloyd, she um, she actually wore it. And that that was big time because in the, I think about 10 months later, she, she went to the World Cup and single-handedly just controlled the World Cup. But it's something that I stick to today, to be honest with you, Sean. I mean, it's if you listen to my kids... You know, I'll be talking and talking and then they'll go, yeah, talent is not enough, coach. We know talent is not enough. Mm -hmm. Talent is not enough. And it's just about, I think, creating a culture as well. It helps with your culture when you're trying to explain that, hey, look, not everyone can score amazing goals. Not everyone can play great passes, but we might not be the best team in the world, but um, we can be the hardest working team. Knowing what you know now and in and, and coaching and what you've done in your career, looking back on that that first opportunity coaching that you had come over to the States, what would you tell yourself, back, tell, tell the young Ricky uh, in that first session? Um, in that first session? Well, I remember it was in Connecticut somewhere and I had a group of six and seven-year-old um, boys and girls and – I just remember I had the best session planned ever. And I was super excited for that first day. And at the end of the day, I was absolutely knackered. I was off my feet. And I remember thinking to myself, it actually had nothing to do with a session plan, really. It was more about your personality as a coach and how you can inspire players or how you can gauge, how you can get their interest. And you can make them believe or trust in what you're telling them is going to help them in some way, some shape or form. So I've always thought, looking back now, I've always thought that it's not always about the X's and O's. The X's and O's are important, but it's it's also about how passionate you are. And and kids and players, they they see that. They know when you're not interested. They know when you're cold. They know when you're perhaps not quite there. And they feed off your energy as a coach. So I've always tried to be a passionate coach that can uh, connect and reach out to to players and coaches because I think that's important. I love working with coaches as well. When you 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 work with the younger ones, you kind of make your way to the older ones. Do you is 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 that the start of when you start piecing this this content that you're putting out now? Are, are you, you're keeping the record of? Hey, I did this with these six and seven year olds. It worked. I did this. It didn't work. Uh, you know, is is that kind of where the whole thing started to to uh, make this this catalog, this library of, of yeah. resources for coaches? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I always do with my training sessions is that there's a review section. So whether it's you know your warm up session one, session two, session three, however you organize your training plan. There's always a review element to my my training plan as well. So I go back over the session and write down some of the notes. The field size might not have worked. Um, the, the exercise actually brought out more than I thought it was going to bring out. And then what I do is I just I, I save all that stuff electronically. I have a library where I can go to it and pull information from it. And I just think, as coaches now, we can't really afford to say when we can't use technology, we can't we can't have reference points. Uh, yeah. I did it the way I used to do it when I was younger. I just don't think you can afford to do that anymore. Um, and what 
by cataloging all my work and having information that you can just pull from, it also gives me reference points for when I go and and speak to my players, when I go and speak to my uh, parents as well. And coaches, again, you know, I think coaches, working with coaches is a huge passion of mine as well. Ricky, what is the difference for you um, for, say, a young coach who can get distracted by winning games at the youth game, uh, excuse me, at the youth level versus (laughs) what you would define as being a successful college, uh, excuse me, uh, a successful youth coach? Well, you know, I think I talk about this a lot, to be honest with you, Joe. I talk about um, it's 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 a process, you know. Like I, I was really fortunate this summer. One of my teams won a national championship and um, MPL US Club Soccer. And you know, we if you'd have asked us that a year ago, we would never have said that would have that would have happened to us. But we always talk about the process and that winning and losing comes and goes. And that there there has to be something bigger than winning and losing. Um, so I, I would say, you know, as a young coach, to just focus on the small steps and focus on small improvements and, and focus on developing players and developing teams. Because sometimes I often feel like we talk about, well, I develop players, I develop players. But you can also develop teams. You can take them from point A and take them to point C. Um, so I think just focusing on the small gains, realise that it's a process and that winning and losing comes and goes and there must be something else that the, that that you have as a reference for your players and, and your teams when you're working with youth players. How would you communicate that to a group of parents? Well, I think you... You have to have a you have to have a mission and a vision as well, don't you? I mean, you can't come in there and say, "Hey, just follow me and do what I say," because I'm Ricky Clark and I have an A license. You know, I'm going to start uh, using that. Yeah, it, you know, it doesn't work, and I think you have to initially start with a, "Hey, look, this is what I see. This is where I want to go with this group, and these are the steps it's going to take," and then. You have to, over time, build the foundations that you set in place and build on top of them, you know. I think it – and the biggest challenge for a youth coach is time, you know, patience. I just Mm -hmm. feel like I I watch – I'm turning 39 in June. Don't get me wrong. I don't consider myself – You grizzled young vet. Yeah, I don't consider myself an old guy, but – the older I do get, the more I realize that time is so important. And the more you can explain that to the parents, the more you can get parents to buy into the the process and it takes time, then the easier it becomes to sell your message, if you like, or um, transmit your message to your group and your program or your age group or whatever you're working with. It. I- it, it I was going to say, I had that this fall. I had a, um, I think they would be 11 or 12 year old team and, uh, you know, selling the parents on the process. You know, this is a journey. It's not just this season. These players are, what they're doing now is going to affect what they're doing five years from now when they're 16. And, and this high school team that you're so concerned about them playing on, what we're doing now is to prepare them for that. Mm -hmm. And you could see, you know, really defining that for some of the parents about, 
you know, this is a process just like anything else. They're not going to become, you know, Mia Hamm or, or Leo Messi overnight. Like they, it's going to take time. That's going to take work. And I've noticed, I noticed at least this fall, I would say maybe half the parents bought into that. And that's a lot more than what I I've seen normally. So I feel like parents are starting to, well, I guess in, in my, at least in my experience are starting to understand that whole thing about the process. Sean, yeah, I do. The master coach, Sean. I, I know. I, I'm the I'm the coach, farthest thing like from the master coach. With Mia Hamm, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, no, listen. I agree. I agree. But to go back to what you were saying, Joe, um, I also think it's all the other pieces of detail that you can layer into that process. Like, for example, right now I have a group that I'm. I'm struggling with because they're they're playing high school and they're playing for me and I barely see them. So I I find myself getting frustrated with a whole process. So instead of complaining and and having issues about it, I just was like, right, well, I'm going to make an online course for this group, specifically for this team. So they understand, even though they're not at my training session, they hear my message every day, whether it's, they go online and foot and complete one of the chapters or they're in one of the chapters and have to complete a task that's related to our team objectives. So I think along the, along the process, along that journey, the more you can layer in um, ways that you want to convey that message to parents and players, the more successful you're going to be as well. What, who you mentioned, you know, you had the middle school teacher who, who inspired you to, to go off to college when it came to coaching, who were some of your inspirations and, and maybe people that you, you did connect with that were kind of your mentors. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to say it's, it all started in New York for me. You know, uh, Tim Bradbury is a guy who's, who's um, on Twitter. Um, he's the Eastern New York technical director and Tim is a player first type of coach you know we develop players and he was just a real inspiration for me in the way that you can develop players and then Gary who was his partner at the time for the uh, company that I was working for was probably somewhat different and he was more of a um, how to coach within the game and how to manage games and how to understand different systems and formations and I think it was a great combination when you're a young coach that you could learn from two, in a way, different coaches, but still really high levels. And I I look back to the way that I coached when I first arrived in New York and a lot of the foundations that I learned there are all evident in the way that I work with children today. And obviously, as I've got older, certain things I believe in, I work on a lot more, but the foundation of working with players was there. And I think having a mentor or having people that you can look up to as a coach is, is really important. I remember going to, and this is a little bit off track, but I remember going to the, we, we like uh, off track. I remember going to the Jose Mourinho, um, NSC double special topics course. Um, and I was lucky enough to ask him a question. And at the time of starting my master Ricky Master Coach blog, um, I was into role models. That was like one of the questions I asked all the people I interviewed. And I asked him, like, who was your role model? Um, and his response was my family, my wife, my, they're my daily role models. 
And I was like, well, that's not really the answer I was looking for. I said, but okay, who is your sporting role model? And he, he gave a really interesting answer. He said, you know, I didn't have role models, but what I did do is I took pieces of information and I took methods from all these different coaches and I tried to build my own methodology. Um, but he, you know, he said he didn't have role models, if you like, that he aspired to be like. And that kind of always sat with me. That kind of made me think, well, yeah, definitely. I can still be myself, but I can never not say, well, I'm not going to do that because that's his method or I'm not going to take that session. We all beg and borrow and steal as coaches anyway. Um, I mean, a majority of my presentations come from your Instagram, so I might, <laughs> I might, I might as well. Uh, you know, it, it's it's cool that you bring that because I know, like, I feel like I'm kind of the same way because I I remember when I started coaching. You know, one of the first things that my college coach told me was, "You're not trying to be the next so and so. You want to be the first you. And you can be the first you by taking bits and pieces from all these coaches that you're going to see." And I feel like what you're just saying, you know, talking to to Mourinho is kind of the same thing. Of you know, you still need to be your own person. You can take what you're learning from all these other coaches, but maybe twist it to how you see it or how it fits your team. Because, you know, Joe with his team, he could say, okay, my boys are going to play just like uh, Sir Alex's team did in 1997. Well, then he Mm -hmm. goes out, he doesn't have those players from 1997 uh, on that squad. So he's got to kind of change it a little bit. Where do you find yourself, especially now as you, you've continued to progress uh, in your coaching, going from, you know, working with you to getting to the pros and then, you know, back into youth level now, what was that first time in in the pro game, and, and you know the the team that you, I, you were with the Atlanta Atlanta Silverbacks, yeah, Silverbacks. Um, you know what was that transition like for you going to that? You know, was that your first time with the professional game uh, in a coaching manner, or you know, just what was what was your time like during that? Yeah, I mean, it was my first time coaching in a professional environment, and my role was slightly different to start with. I um. I was actually doing scouting and player recruitment. So when I first started, I would scout um, some of the teams who'd be playing against, create reports for the head coach. And then at certain periods, look at players that we might want to recruit and bring into the program. So that part of it was relatively new to me, but I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed that role. And then as, as the uh, year went on, I, I was, sort of introduced more to being able to run training sessions and be a part of the day-to-day programming of being in that type of environment. And Who it was, was the head coach during that time? Gary, Gary Smith is now yeah. he's the head coach at Nashville Soccer Club. Um, so, and learning from Gary was, was, um, was unbelievable as well. You know, Gary had, Gary had won an MLS championship with Colorado. So Gary was really well knowledgeable and, you know, one of the things I learned from Gary as well, from his, initially from the way that he structured his training sessions, was he had a lot of coaches that worked for him, and they done training sessions. And then towards the back end of the training session, Gary would come in and take over the group and really convey his message and what he wanted to see within his um, team. And that was something that I thought was really interesting because he also, I also said to him, why is it structured like that? And he said, you know, sometimes the players, if they constantly just hear your voice, they, they zone out. And yeah. um, if there's other voices they can hear and then you can come in and bring all that information together, 
your your message becomes more powerful. So for me, as a young coach, I, I learned an awful lot in that environment. You know, it was a, it was a really good time for me as a young coach. And you get to reflect, you get to say, you know, if I was ever in that position, how would I manage it? And so all these scenarios go through your head. And I was just very lucky. And, and the Silverbacks ended up, you know, going away. The NASL um, no longer really exists existing name but doesn't exist anymore and and Gary moved on and I stayed in Atlanta and and sort of got stuck back into youth soccer as well so it was an important part I think because sometimes I think we always want to keep going and going and going and going and you know coach kids and then coach high school players and coach college players and then finish at the pro level and sometimes your your education path doesn't really follow that that process, you know. And it was a good time for me. I learned a lot and I grew up as a coach real quick, I think. Now I, I've always wanted to ask you this because I, I've seen it on your on your website. Were you a head coach for one of the games? And and how did that come yeah. about? Because you had a an amazing interview uh that, that mm. I've seen a few times. Yeah, so um there was there was a I think it was towards the back end. We were we were in a bit of a playoff push, and um, Gary and our assistant coach were in San Antonio, and um, they got into a little bit of trouble with a ref afterwards, and were suspended for the next game. And that was New York. That was um, New York Cosmos. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raúl was playing for them. Marco Senna at the time, and. We there, there wasn't anyone that was able to take the team, so Gary actually asked me to step in and, and coach the team for a one-off game. So I was fortunate enough that it was against you know the the uh, the amazing New York Cosmos, and it was actually back in the university where I originally started working in America, which was pretty cool because a lot of my friends still live there, and they came to watch the game and. And we ended up nicking a cheeky one-one tie as well, which made it even better. Yay. Yeah. What was that? Uh, what was that feeling like? Getting the call, like, "Hey, I'm I'm going to be in charge this week." I I got I got to be honest with you. I thought he was messing around to start with. <laughs> um, but it was pretty. I mean, it was pretty cool. I mean, it was you know the the game was and the preparation was all managed by Gary. I'm not taking any credit for it, Gary organized everything leading up to the game he organized everything just before the game and I was really the person that did the warm-ups went out on the field and during the game managed uh, the players uh, but I was always in contact with Gary as well with the NASL you're allowed to use earpieces so that was also like a really cool I guess part of my education as well being in a moment where you're in control of what's happening on the field and you've got this really experienced person speaking to you in your ear. Yeah. You know, I, f- I remember one moment where I got completely carried away with a bad call from the ref. And Gary just said to me, Ricky, just take a couple of breaths, walk back to the dugout and breathe. And I, <laughs> you know, and, and that was like a pretty cool moment, you know, to have someone there like that, almost holding your hand, walking you through the game. Um, but the guys were brilliant as well. It really shows you how professional players, you know, own their craft. 
because they could have used it as an excuse that their head coach wasn't there um, and they got this young guy stepping in and taking over for one game. And they really didn't. They just knuckled down. They worked extremely hard and we were pretty unfortunate in the end. The goal we conceded was it was an own goal as well. So, uh, Thankfully for Joe, he has nobody in an earpiece telling him to, uh, to, to slack off because <laughs> we all know that Joe is the best. Uh, when it comes to banter with the officials, uh, so you know you you left uh, the 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 pro game and went into uh, back into development. How did that all get started about? Well, I was st- I was doing that. At the, I was doing the pro game and I was working in youth soccer at the same time. So I was still doing both, and um, I went back into the youth game and actually started a new role as a development academy director for the club that I'm working with. So that was a new that was a new change for me as well because I'd worked with boys and girls at at that time and now I sort of just went specifically in and started working with a boys program. Um, then that's my role now full time. I work with a boys academy program here in Atlanta with uh, the Southern Soccer Academy and I have a girls two girls teams that I still work with but full time pretty much with a boys program. And it keeps me ticking over and we play, you know, we play against some of the best teams in the state. And it's a really good job in that respect that it keeps me accountable because every weekend we know that if we turn up or we don't turn up, we're going to struggle. So there's a lot of accountability that comes with it. And I enjoy that challenge. With being in Atlanta and the time that you've been there now, and, you know, obviously you're with your own club and you've done your things with other clubs, but, you know, obviously the popularity of uh, Atlanta United has really mm-hmm. kind of taken over. It's being somebody who's in Georgia and, and around the Atlanta area, how much has that truly changed, not just soccer as in like because they sell out every single game, but what's it as at the youth level? Have you seen a dramatic different uh not so much play but maybe in in population or, or kids who are coming out to play how much of an impact is that uh, that team having on the, the area of soccer there i mean they're having a huge impact i mean like i have two season tickets myself you know i believe that uh i believe that we should all invest back into our soccer community so i've got two season tickets myself and you know there's a there's a family on my street that have two girls that don't play soccer and their mum and dad have never played soccer and they have four season tickets oh wow so their reaches their reaches has gone i think their reach has really gone beyond the soccer community they and, and how really, did that even how did that even get started because it was like the very first game it was yeah. completely sold out. I mean, I think one of the I think one of the good things about the way that the team is is situated when when they first started, they were at Georgia Tech, which is right in downtown Atlanta. And I think anytime you have a a sporting event or anytime you have a sporting team that plays in the heart of the city, that you you don't just get soccer people coming to the game, you also get people who who just enjoy sports coming to the game. Yeah. And what the team that managed to do right from the very first, you know, game almost, is they managed to play really exciting soccer and they they found some really sort of diamonds in the rough, if you like, and and they just they brought an exciting brand of soccer to the city and the city really invested in that, you know, and they do a really good job of 
of promoting the team throughout the city. I mean, just tonight I was driving home down this dark highway in the middle of nowhere and up pops this massive billboard, Atlanta United, first home game this weekend. You know, and they've really they've really done a really good job of of getting eyes on their badge and and being in the local communities. You know, they created a, a partnership with um soccer in the streets where the the martyr train stations in the, in the city they've built soccer fields where people can go and play at night like jump on a train go one stop and play another play with another group of people at another train station so they've really done a great job of reaching out to the community but then when you also look at the, their academy teams because we play against their academy teams as well they're the same way. They they play exciting soccer. They pick and find the best players, and the the facilities are just their facilities are first class. You know, I was there the other week and I was speaking to someone from the Red Bull organization, and and they just said, you know, every franchise that comes into the league now just ups a bar one more step, and yeah. Atlanta United have done that. They've done it across all the spectrums. You know, the teams want to championship their youth teams play good soccer their facilities are great and they really know how to reach out to the community so it's a it's a it's a great time for soccer in atlanta for sure i thought joe was popping on joe you still there joe probably forgot that he has his microphone off rookie <laughs> yes there you are happened. sorry so, so Ricky, I have a, a question for you from a, a little bit of your old days. As a, a Chelsea guy, uh, there was an incident a couple of weeks ago, uh, for those people who don't know, where uh, Chelsea's manager decided to substitute his goalkeeper in a cup final and the, uh, the goalkeeper decided not to come off the field. As a coach, thoughts on that? Uh, anything like that, a story that you've seen before? And if uh, you don't have a story, how would you have handled that if that was you? I've been asked this question um, by a couple of my players because they, they know that I'm a massive Chelsea fan as well. You know, I think it's an unfortunate incident, to be honest with you, because I think the way the game was going, the first half, Man City played incredibly well, had a lot of possession, and Chelsea worked really hard staying in a tight shape without possession of the ball, without you really uh, doing a lot with the ball. And then the second half, the longer the game went on, I felt like Chelsea looked more and more dangerous and Hazard looked like it would cause some problems. But when the incident occurred, I think instantly um, there has to be an understanding between the players and the coach and a trust that if the coach is asking you to do something, that you listen to your coach. And I think that was a, um, that was a bad decision on his part. He should have come off the field when the coach asked him to come off the field. And I think if I was a coach uh, dealing with that situation, I would have, I would like to have thought that I wouldn't, of let the game start until he come off the field, but it's not that easy when the world's watching you and there's a game going on. Um, but I would have dealt with it the way that I think Sari dealt with it. You know, he wouldn't have played. I don't think he would have played the next couple of games, to be honest with you. Um, and he would have had to have apologised to his players because I felt like it was a, it was a very selfish act. 
Um, so he would have had to apologise to his teammates and he would have had to apologise to the coach. But it's just, he's young as well, you know, and I think unfortunately it was, it didn't, I don't think it come from a place of disrespect. It come more from a place of wanting to prove something to his new club and prove something to his new players. But unfortunately, with the media world we live in these days, it, it didn't get portrayed that way. It got portrayed completely different. So unfortunate incident, but we do at that level, they live in a world where results um, control them. So I think Sari's sort of uh, forgiving him and, and wants to move on, you know. 100%. Now, shifting gears a little bit, as someone who's coached a lot of youth stuff and all the way up to the professional level, there's started to become a, a tone now with people saying that young players are becoming too robotic and uh, overcoached. What are your thoughts on that? And uh, personally, I'm not 100% sure that I believe in that, but I know there's some people who do. Like, Where do you lie on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't personally believe in that, to be honest. Like some of the players that we play against at the development academy level, they, I mean, just last weekend we played in a really tight game and this kid just produced something out of nothing. And I think the environment that you create is really important. I think you have to create a mistake-tolerant environment as a coach. The more that you try and control the environment and make it about doing A, B and C, the less creativity you give your players. Um, but I definitely don't think we live in an environment where the players are too robotic. I mean, from the work and the teams that I've seen and who I play against at an elite level, we play against some unbelievably creative players. Now, is there enough of those players that's up for debate. I would say we need more players like that. You know, the the amount of games that I go to at weekends and especially with the younger kids and there's good players and they're being constantly told to pass, well, then I would say if we're constantly teaching them to pass all the time, where's the next Messi going to come from? Where's the next American Messi going to come from? So I think it all goes back to education and how we educate our coaches as to what degree of flexibility we give players and do we tell them what to do or do we ask questions as a means of teaching them and educating them within small-sided games, within a game concept at the weekend? So as someone who is you know, pretty well connected and, and, and able to find information, if you were giving advice to people on how to learn, how could they go about doing that? You know, I would say that, that the internet is a powerful tool for them. You know, one of the things that I did with my blog is it allowed me to um, store loads of information in one place. So there's loads of tools out there now that you can use on the internet where if you see an article or you see a training session, you can clip it, you can save it, you can add it to a program. Um, I just think, people have got to go out there and do like a little bit of work and, and do a little bit of research as to what they're looking for and what they actually want. I think we, cause we live in an instant gratification environment, everything's right there in the palm of your hand. 
but you've also got to go out there and do a little bit of work and research to find the stuff that's perhaps relevant to you as a coach or as a young kid. But as a young coach, I would say go out there and find as much articles, training sessions, watch videos as much as you can and try and build, you know, uh, a vision or a methodology that works for you and not try and copy someone else. Uh, you know, with, as we kind of close on here, you know, you you yourself have content that you put out that uh, people will be able to access the in the show notes. Uh, they could click on the links for all that. Um, but what are because you you mentioned you know taking stuff from other people. What are some of the uh, the other creators that you find yourself uh, looking up maybe daily, or you're just if something of theirs pops up, you're always going to keep your eye on it. Uh, you know what? I, I, there's not really anyone specific that I go to. But I believe the fact that um, like platforms like Twitter and Instagram are really powerful in giving you ideas. Um, yeah. I don't specifically, it's not like I wake up every morning. And I'm like, hey, what's this dude doing? Or what's this young lady doing? Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that type of person. But what I will do is I'll sit for 10, 15 minutes and I'll scroll through hashtags and I'll look, say I'm working on, say I have a passing uh, theme at training, I'll go and find a soccer hashtag or a soccer drill exercises that has passing in it. And then I'll scroll through passing articles, passing exercises, passing videos, and I'll look for like ideas from those things. So that's really how I, that's really how I find my ideas or create my session plans. If you like, if I'm building something from scratch, using the internet where is uh ricky clark want to be in 10 years from now uh you know i just want to be in a good place i want to be in a healthy place i want to be working with people that stretch me and you know and and force me to be as good as i can be and i, I want to be working in in the game that i love and and doing what i love you know and that's working with soccer players and working with parents and coaches and if that takes me to another place if that takes me to a good place then I'm a fortunate young man I haven't asked my dumb question in a while if you could describe your coaching philosophy with a song what song would it be oh wow that's a good question it's, it's been a few weeks since I've asked this so I've, I've got to break it out um oh wow uh there's a there's a there's a band that I listen to called Star Sailor and they they got I got introduced to them through a friend and they have a song called um called Silence is Easy. Uh-huh. And it always makes me think when I'm coaching, because I, I was driving the other day and it came on, and it always always makes me think about um my coaching and the way that I work with players. And I don't know where I'm going with this, but it sometimes I think to myself, if I'm over coaching, I just need to be a little bit more silent. But sometimes if I'm silent, then I'm not helping players or I'm not I'm not pushing them through a time when they might need a little bit of help. Yeah. So I guess I don't I don't know if that really answers your question, but um I'm kind of a coach who I think I said it at the start, I'm passionate about my my role, but at the same time I also believe that like I said before, winning and losing comes and goes, and it's about the, the journey and 
how players remember you and remember working with you that's probably the most important thing to me. I'm not a music buff, if that, if that, uh, <laughs> if that kind of answers that question. What, uh, what's a coaching memory of yours, something that a team did that every time you think about it, it brings a smile to your face and it makes you laugh a little bit? Um, you know, one Christmas I was, I was in Seattle and um, it was the first Christmas I spent away from home. And I was living with a friend there and uh, Christmas morning at nine o'clock, the entire team, the entire team, Christmas Day turn up and they brought me a couple of presents and they wow. brought me a bunch of food. And that really, that really humbled me. You know, that kind of made me realize, you know, it's not always about soccer. You know, these people care about you as an individual and the soccer thing comes second. And, and that's, I guess that's one thing that, Definitely stayed with me. When you you always hear in coaching, you talk about, uh, or you hear people say about you want players that will run through a brick wall for you, and for them yeah. to do that, I mean that's that's absolutely incredible. That's probably one of the coolest stories I've heard since we've done this show. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, and uh, yeah, I'm definitely a brick wall person. I talk about that a lot. I, you know, and there's loads of little things that people have done for you that that stick in my mind, but a team turning up on Christmas day and players and coaches. And that was pretty special. Uh, Sucker chat's all about getting coaches connected and, and networking together. You know, if there's somebody who wants to reach out to you and and whether it's get your content or they just want to maybe ask you a few questions, uh, development wise or things along those lines, how can people do that? So here's your chance to plug your website, your social media, everything. How can people contact you? Yeah, no, my, my, obviously my website is rickymastercoach.com. We, I've, that's been plugged loads already, but you, you can just find me anywhere really on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and just search Ricky Master Coach and I'll pop up somewhere along the way. I'm, I'm trying to get into Facebook, but I also have a full-time job and a marriage to manage. So it's a struggle. Social- my social media platforms are are um, coming along nicely. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, Ricky, thank you so much for coming on. We want to wish you and your team and your club the best of luck going on this spring. And thank you so much again for coming on and taking some time with us. No, I appreciate it, guys. And, and listen, I appreciate what you guys do as well, you know. Like, it's. I just think it's massively important that we we try and do as much as possible to promote soccer, whether it's on within our local community whether it's on a global scale like you guys and the extra time and the work that you guys put in and how passionate you are about um development and education of coaches and players you know it's inspiring for me as a coach so uh i want to thank you guys as well for the work that you do oh that makes that makes me want to cry that that's thank you so much ricky that means a lot Hey, I no might problems. come back next week if I get praised like that, Ricky. Thank you. <laughs> Joe, Joe, you were outstanding. You were outstanding, Joe. Appreciate it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the things that stood out to me, Sean, I don't know if it was for you, was the ease in which Ricky seems to be able to get his message across on multiple different platforms um, and seems to be able to adapt his coaching style to, to suit his situation that he's in. I mean, I really liked the fact that when he was talking about the team that was playing high school and they were club, but 
he still wanted to connect with them, that he was sending out lesson plans online over Twitter and Instagram, which was something which I thought was pretty intelligent, especially with dealing yeah. with uh, youngsters, you know, who are in high school right now with how easy it is to connect with them through their mobile phones. Yeah, they all have phones. They all have technology. They're all going to see their Twitter, their Snapchat, Instagram, all that stuff. Um, you know, it makes even in person, his message is conveyed very. I, I just that's my big word for the week conveyed. Um, he puts his message out there that you can clearly understand. And like you said, he does a very good job uh, doing that mass communication wise as well. You know, was was that something that you kind of picked up on? Maybe, you know, like with your teams, uh, you know, having that constant interaction as, as much as possible, even if it's just like mental talking about, hey, you know, did you catch this? Maybe putting a clip in, hey, uh, watch this little 30 second clip. What's something that you see? Uh, you know, is that something that kind of pops in your mind? Is something that Mike, uh, that, that you would want to do with something with your teams? Well, it was funny because um, I had, I mean, as you know, and some of your listeners might remember it, you interviewed me in basically preseason this year as I went into my first fall as a head coach. And um, I had my end of year review with my athletic director a couple of weeks ago. And she said, hey, you know, um, your uh, players say that you communicate pretty well, but some of them still don't think you, you do it enough. Uh, and I had coffee with a couple of the other head coaches in our office. And uh, w- one of our coaches has been a head coach for a long time. And he said, you know, I've been a head coach for 20, I think 22 years. He's been a head coach. And he said, every year I get criticized for not communicating well enough with my players. And he says, every year I think I do it a little bit better. But every year I get criticized for not communicating well enough. Uh, and I think that's something which we can all take heart of and go, yeah, we probably are not doing enough as leaders and as coaches to to make sure our people know our message. And and the more that we can do that through social media, through one-on-one, through group meetings, the better chance our message gets heard and gets understood. And I think that's something which we can all uh, take, take something from. Well, I want to play devil's advocate for a bit. How much of that can also be, you know, Let's, let's not kid ourselves. Joe, you and I are pretty average dudes and uh, we're both married and we, we have this thing that husbands have called selective hearing. Uh, and the other thing is that, um, you know, our players have selective hearing as well. You know, it's, it's a big thing that kids nowadays have key words they listen for. They're key messages they're listening for. So how much of it do you think could also be you're putting the message out there, but it's not the words that they're wanting to hear? This, this is my pro coach. Uh, rant for the for the evening yeah but I, I but i would also argue especially on the youth side i would say as the adult in the room it's our job to convey the message and yeah. we have to check and i think what's becoming more and more apparent is we have to check in with our players more often and yeah. and be totally explicit and say do you understand what i'm saying um some some of you listeners might be able to pick up. I have a slight accent, and uh, I, I <laughs> no, a, not at all, not at all. Different vocabulary than some of my American peers, and there've <laughs> been times in my life where I've been coaching American soccer players, and they look at me like, "What is this guy saying?" And in my mind, it's totally obvious, <laughs> but it's not. And who's right or who's wrong in that situation? So I wonder sometimes as. Each coach every year gets a year older and they coach players who are the same age. Every year we get one year removed from the people that we're uh, coaching. And it, 
I, I personally think it's the coach's job to make sure that their message gets across. I remember my younger days as a coach, every time that I coached against somebody with an accent, my players focused more on what that coach was saying. And it would get to the point where I would say, Hey, do what they're saying. And the kids would absolutely do it. So I think your, your amazing accent actually just like brings more attention to what you're saying. Well, it might just disguise some of the mistakes that I make probably more often. You know? <laughs> we weren't we weren't going to say anything about that, but you know, on the flip, <laughs> on the flip side, you know, for all of your friends and family back home who are listening, to this may say, "Oh, you know, the way this guy's talking." You know, I I could I could see myself going to England trying to coach and kids just being like, you know, what in the hell is this guy saying? Uh, the till the cows come home. What in the world? Um, you know, I it, it's it's something to where. I've never forgotten one of the the first things I learned in college um, as as a broadcasting major was the the communication process. And a message has to be said. It has to be transferred through the air, put into your brain, decipher it. There are two big words. I'm on a roll this week. Uh, decipher that message. And then the next person spews a message out. You then decipher the, the message and, and go from there. So I, sometimes I wonder... You know, that's why I, I wanted to play devil's advocate because sometimes, you know, we're we're getting the communication out there and we're spreading the message as much as we can. We're pounding these 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 uh, these ideas, these philosophies, how we want our teams to be. But sometimes the person's just not deciphering. But you, but you bring a strong point of you got to constantly ask, do you understand? Because if the kids are saying, yes, I get it. Yes, I get it. But then they still don't get it. That ultimately comes back on them because I'm I'm all about player accountability accountability which I've, I've gotten more into as i've gotten older um so i i can totally see where uh where you're coming from on that one um, well, i would always i would also add as well that i think as coaches i mean i remember watching a documentary on uh bobby robson who was a famous english coach you know coached england coached barcelona coached newcastle and i remember him saying you have five minutes with professional players to convey your message and i would argue that I mean, that was probably 15, 20 years ago now. And I would say now we probably have two minutes to yeah. get our message across. Um, so we have to become more articulate and uh, and more succinct with how we can get our message across because young people have shorter attention spans today than they did 25 years ago because there's more things that grab their attention. Uh, so as coaches, we have to be able to pass that message across, across as clearly as we can. And I think as quickly as we can. Uh, I think the days of our lectures on tactics uh, are long gone. Yeah, I, I, I find myself, I'm in that like middle range where if I don't, if I don't talk long enough, they, they don't get it. If I talk too long enough, they're, they, they kind of, you know, they get it for a little bit, but then they're thinking about something else. So it's like, I got to find that like medium point where it's just like, like you said, you know, you got two minutes and, and sometimes that two minutes may not be enough when it comes to a specific tactic, or maybe they're having trouble with the, uh, the, the exercise that you're doing. But, uh, you know, all in all, uh, Ricky's an, an awesome, I was that your first time talking to Ricky or, or have you met Ricky before or know like, no, what he's done? First time. So I knew who he was through his stuff, through his online stuff. And uh, like he said, I'd, uh, I've plagiarized some of his stuff from online. And um, But it was the first time I've spoke with him before. Yeah, Rick is an awesome guy. Uh, I, I can remember sitting down over some uh, some drinks and wings with him uh, at the JW Marriott in Indianapolis and getting to chat with him a little bit uh, and, and some of the guys from over at uh, Academy Soccer Coach at the same time. And just getting to know him and all of a sudden, like, it's one of those cool things to where 
you you meet you meet somebody and you know you just talk to them you get to know them they're friendly you exchange phone numbers and, and you chat uh throughout the time and all of a sudden you know up pups this website that people are sending you to and it's like hey i know this guy what what he's got a website he creates all this content he's got online courses what uh just absolutely incredible because i you know nobody would ever take an online course if i made one i mean let's 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 be honest here uh well, i think the thing that makes him stand out is he he seems genuine and he also seems like he, it's clear that he loves the game and he yeah. also loves coaching people to make them better and yeah. ultimately that's what coaching's all about yeah that's that's exactly you hit the nail on the head if there ever was a time in our show that the nail was hit directly on the head by God, our guest host did it this week. Well, Joe, uh, the time has come, uh, as, as we do at the end of every episode. Uh, you know, people can join the conversation with us. It's every single Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. You just got to follow hashtag soccer chat, uh, or you can just follow the Twitter account at chat soccer. No, East, that's S-O-C-C-R. Again, that's every single Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. Submit your questions uh, using the hashtag and get the responses from other coaches. Great discussions are had in that, and it's such a great chance to network with lots of coaches from around the country and, and learn. And if you can't get into it on Wednesday night, join it Thursday morning. Join it Thursday night. Just hop in whenever you can uh, and follow along with the uh, the chat and, and send everyone your answers joe if somebody is wanting to chat to you if they're listening to this right now they're going god that guy he just sounds like he's got the biggest plush chair in his office with the biggest tv on campus how can i get in touch with this guy and chat with him and learn some of his methods and, and share some ideas with him how can they do so so my email is sega s-a-g-a-r-j at lawrence.edu and I promise I will uh, join Twitter and Instagram within the next two weeks, Sean. That's my yes. to you online, okay? I'm going to yeah. make the pledge. There we go. I like it. I like it. You know what? I'll make the pledge. I will help you with your Twitter account. We'll uh, we'll get you a nice yeah. little graphic to put up on the top and get you a nice little profile picture. Sounds Man, we're going to get you looking good. Thank <laughs> you. And, and uh, I appreciate the uh, opportunity to come and help you out. I know you and uh, Rizzo do a fantastic job. and. Just know that we're all so proud of you both putting this out every week. It's a really big deal to have you guys do this. Well, if anything, Joe, you're proving that anybody can do this. If, if well, Nick yeah, and I can well, do yeah. it. <laughs> I said, my goodness, I didn't think you could get any lower than Rizzo, but you found it, okay? <laughs> well, no, we, we want to thank you so much. Just, uh, you know, Nick and I were kind of chatting about, uh, you know, who could we have come on, and, and instantly your name was when it popped up. I was just like, oh, yeah, here we go. This is this one could be uh, could be an all-timer. But, uh, you know, like Joe said, he's going to get on Twitter and Instagram for you guys. If you want to follow me, it's at Coach Soderling. Some of you might be saying, man, you know, Sean, you don't really tweet much about soccer i do but i just leave that to the experts and the masters you know i'll retweet stuff but uh you know i'll answer some of the questions on, on wednesday night but uh you know i'm all about showing my personality and i'll tweet soccer stuff when something soccer pops up but uh you know i, I i'm a good follow for some things every now and then i'll throw a nice little joke out there but i'm great i'm great at responding to you with gifts that's my big thing uh big thanks to the good folks at social media for the high school athletes check them out online socialstudentathletes.com and on social media at HS Social Media because then you can check the show out for free every single week. And again, this is a listener-supported podcast. Please help us out by sharing out the links every single week on Thursday mornings when the show comes out. That way your friends can know that you're listening and let them know they need to listen to. Leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple iTunes podcast app. Make sure to do that so that way we can let you know 
that uh, that we hear you guys and we want to try to make our show as much as we can for you. Uh, we've had some great reviews recently. Uh, we talked about Ronnie's last week that meant so much to us. So leave a review on there. Make sure to leave us your Twitter handle so that way we can leave you a message. And thank you so much for listening. Man, what a week. Uh, last time I had heard Nick had not died yet in Colombia. So that's a good thing. Uh, but the good part about all this is that we get to do it again next week. He's Joe. I'm Sean. And well, you know, this is the part where Nick would say, catch you later, brother. So Joe, we'll catch you next week. Catch you later, brother.